AFD and NYC, Episode 7, Seize the Day. No better way to start this final episode of AFD and NYC than by cracking open that last LaCroix that's been in my apartment's fridge. I've got one shot at this, and I really want it for the audio, but if it doesn't go well, well, what a loss, because I've been saving this for days. (laughs) So here we are at the end. By the time you are hearing this, I'm headed back to Nashville, lugging my overflowing suitcases down the stairs of my apartment building and out to the cab, through LaGuardia Airport and home to my condo in Nashville. Some friends have actually been staying in my Nashville house this whole time while I've been in New York City. So the teen daughters and I talked last weekend and they got out all the Christmas decorations and decorated my house. I cannot wait to see what they've done. Tell me a better surprise to come home to than a house fully Christmas decorated by three teenage girls. Y'all, it's gonna be the best. I am glad to be going home. If you are new to this podcast or this series, Hi, I'm Annie. I usually live in Nashville, but until today, I've lived for a few months in New York City. This is the seventh and final episode in the series AFD and NYC. The first six are linked in the show notes below. I'm going to go ahead and spoil the ending here. I don't have a bow to tie on this experience. I don't have my top 10 takeaways, though I will share with you all my favorite restaurants and shows and et cetera this coming week, I promise. But I don't have any big announcements or proclamations. But I do have a story to tell you. My whole family was in town for Thanksgiving week. You may have seen that on my Instagram or during the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade where we made our family national television debut behind an Al Roker interview. It's about minute 35. When my family left New York City on Saturday, I laid on my couch for about 90 minutes with college football benignly playing in the background. And then an idea came to my head. Go back to the Met. Go see the big paintings. I love big paintings. I love the tiny brush strokes that cover massive spaces. I love the colors colliding and mixing and the vision the painter must have to zoom out and see a finished piece and then zoom in and mix the exact right tone to work in the exact right spot. I'd been to the Metropolitan Museum of Art a few weekends before with some friends, but we did a flyover of the whole place, a get-to-know-the-Met tour led by a college professor and volunteer docent. The rest of my friends had been before, so after the hour-long tour, we just passed through some of the sections of the museum full of paintings. But I knew I wanted to go back. I wanted to go back and go slow and look for as long as I want at the biggest paintings they have. It was about 4 p.m. on Saturday. 
These are the moments where my intuition and my desire and an invitation from the Holy Spirit all seem to lose their edges and they start to mix together like soap and water or paint colors. And I don't know what is what, but in my most honest moment, I'll tell you, it felt like the Lord whispering in my ear to go. So I did. Nothing to lose trusting that little push. I walked in and bought my ticket and then went straight to the info center. I want to see the really big paintings, I told him. The ones that cover the wall. The young man smiled at me and kind of laughed and pointed up the grand staircase. You know, a new exhibit just opened and a section of it just reopened for the first time in five years. I asked him when it opened. Uh, just opened a week ago or so, actually, he responded. Why don't you start there? That's when I knew I was on some wild adventure designed by someone greater than I, because since the last time, the only other time I'd been in this building, an entire big painting exhibit had reopened. Did you know that in the Celtic tradition, the Holy Spirit is spoken of as a wild goose? So every time a story in my life starts like this, I'm reminded that life with God is legitimately a wild goose chase, and I'm here for it. I put my earbuds in and played the Pride and Prejudice soundtrack and slowly wove my way through room after room of paintings small ones, large ones, ones the size of the walls. I read every little sign that caught my eye, came closer to every painting that beckoned me somehow. I gave myself permission to not care about every painting in every room, to not act like I love them all, but just to trust my gut. Trusting my gut is what got me back in the museum that night. So I wanted to keep trusting. The big ones of scenic fields and horse racing and cityscapes were amazing. But in a surprise turn of events to myself, it was the portraits that kept drawing me in. It was the faces, the bodies, the relationships, the mother's eyes that followed you as you cross the room, the movement of farmers or ballerinas, the children piled up and laughing, the stately men posing alone or with a dog, the brush strokes that showed the curve of skin or the curve of a waist, the curve of a smile. I would look at them, then read about them, then look at them again and wonder, who was this person? And what would they think of this? Their portrait, painted in 1450 or 1693 or 1814, hanging in a museum in New York City in 2023. There was one from 18th century Europe, probably double life-size, so it did, in fact, cover an entire wall of three male friends, two sitting, one standing, all outside in a garden of some sort. 
The little sign said the one standing was a big deal in society at the time. So this was a painting for his house and the two sitting were his friends. All dressed like characters in Pride and Prejudice. My brain asked the weirdest question. I wonder if their clothes smelled? Like they didn't have as many outfits as many of us do now. And how often did they get to wash? And did everyone just live at like this acceptable level of human scent that we do not really prefer anymore? I looked at their faces and wondered if when they saw the massive painting of themselves, if they thought, yeah, that totally looks like me. Or if they laughed at details that were just a little off in one way or another. They looked to be in their 20s, and I wondered where their lives went. I wondered what happened just before and just after sitting for this portrait. I wondered what became of them. And then I thought about me, wandering alone in this massive museum, living, breathing, walking making decisions and making plans. And I had this moment where I realized they were once as living, breathing, and walking as I am now. These three men on this one canvas and every other portrait painted and hanging in this section of the Met is of a real person, a person that lived, a person that other people loved or hated. A person who had choices and friends and family and work and possibly faith and love. A person who, by the time I'm standing in front of their portrait, is honestly long forgotten, except maybe here at the Met. But even now, I don't remember their names, just vaguely remember their faces. My brain kept spiraling this same theme. These are real people. These are all real people. As I continued through the galleries of portraits, this may sound glum, but as I looked at each of them, I thought their decisions are all made. And I have so many decisions I get to still make. They all finished the race, and I am still running. There is nothing left unknown about where this open door might lead for them or what this closed door might be about. And I am still, thankfully, as confused as ever about where all this goes. Because that all means that I am still alive. We are all portraits waiting to be painted and hung in a museum somewhere long after we are gone, long after all our decisions have been made and our one precious life has been lived. We will maybe hang in a gallery somewhere so people see us with our friends and wonder if we smelled and if we laughed and if we figured it all out. But by then, this part of our story will be done. Therefore, carpe diem, seize the day. At the end of two months in New York City, 
I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do next. I'm going to tell you what you should do. Everything. Do absolutely everything that you want to do. Try, risk, fail, win, go, stay. Just don't let that hold you back. I don't know you're that, but just don't let that hold you back. Fear or money, your body, your age, your worries, your past shame or mistakes, what they will think. Don't let that hold you back. Do everything you can to make sure the little sign by your portrait says she didn't let that hold her back or he really went for it. I know what is coming. Eternity after life as we know it is better. But if this is a foretaste, open your dang mouth and take the biggest bite you can out of this life. We do not get to do this again. We get to do another part of our long story, but this part, the part that portraits are made of, it is our one shot. It's our one shot. It's our one LaCroix. It's our one life. Carpe diem. Please, please, please don't let that hold you back. Go on the walk. Start the conversation. Apply for the job or the school. Move. Audition. Go to the museum. Just go to an art gallery or an art museum. Just go look at their faces. They are telling you too. Don't let that hold you back. Seize the day. If you have thoughts to share on this, there's a great place for that on Instagram, on That Sounds Fun podcast. And I think that's it for my thoughts from AFD and NYC. Thank you for following along on this journey with me. I am deeply grateful, more grateful than you can know. I hope you all have a great weekend and I'll see you back here on Monday for another New York City conversation where I kind of go over my last two months of living here in New York with my three best friends here, Mary-Kate Morrissey, Jenna Claire Mason Moffitt, and Meredith Turing. So we'll see you back here on Monday, friends. Seize the day. <laughs>